Well, good morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Say amen this morning. It's a joy and an honor to see you here this morning, and we thank you for your attendance, and we thank you for all those that have participated in our morning service. It's Christmas time. You look around you, and you see all the beautiful decorations, and we're going to focus this morning and begin our Christmas time off with a wonderful Christmas message. So I hope your hearts are prepared to receive what the Lord has. I went to give my wife my cell phone because I didn't think it'd be too nice to have it on me. And she told me to keep it. It has this thing that vibrates. And so about 1230, this thing's supposed to go off. And that means it's time for me to hush my mouth. Now, Raymond, I thought he was going to get charismatic on me. He was sitting there, tell him, honey, tell him, preach it, brother. And uh, Raymond just thought that was the greatest thing. So um, we um, will be as quick as possible. But I want you all to note it's five minutes after uh, 12, so blame it on uh, Clinton right now. I hope I'm not like the preacher that um, every Sunday morning he would greet the people at the back door. And uh, this one little young boy, about 10 years of age, he went to the preacher at the back door and he had a little money in his hand and he went to hand it to the preacher. The preacher said, no, son. I said, I can't take your money. The little boy said, preacher says, no, please, I beg with you, please take this money. He said, son, I cannot do it. So the little boy was sitting over there and he was kind of upset and uh, the, the preacher wondered if he hurt the f- boy's feelings. So he went to the young fellow and said, Son, says, why is it so important that I take this, this money from you? He says, Well, Pastor, says, my dad says, Every Sunday, you're the poorest preacher that we've ever had. <laughs> so um, we might want to take an offering after the service. I don't know. It may be a good idea. We might have a good offering this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to look at a couple of verses of Scripture this morning. We're going to go to Isaiah. We're going to flip over to Matthew. And then we're going to come back to Isaiah. And I want to just set a little framework for you as we begin our Christmas season today. As we look to the book of Isaiah, we see that King Ahaz is the king of Judah. And here he has turned the nation into idol worship. He has turned it over to the worship of God of Molech. And Isaiah just turned his back on God. He catches wind that uh, the king of Syria and the king of Israel are going to overthrow him. And so it's at this point that God sends Isaiah to speak to King Ahaz. And he tells him what crazy things he's done, how he's turned the, turned the nation over to these idols, and that God's going to overthrow, uh, overthrow him. So he speaks to them a message and begs him to please turn to God. King Isaiah makes uh, excuses of how he's not going to do this, and King Ahaz just continues to give excuses why he's doing the right thing. So the second time Isaiah is is sent by God, and, and he goes and he speaks to King Ahaz once again, and he tells him, please listen to God, that God will save the people from these kings. And King Ahaz once again turns his back upon God. And then we read this prophecy that Isaiah speaks to him in verse number 14 of Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We're going to see Matthew's interpretation of Emmanuel. We've sang about it this morning. God with us, redeemed in us, Emmanuel. Turn with me over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. All Isaiah was saying to King Ahaz is, Look, nobody is going to destroy the people of God. There's no one is going to destroy the lineage of David. And this was the promise that Isaiah was making to King Ahaz. Matthew chapter 1, 
We see the first 17 verses. Hold your finger in Isaiah if you hadn't let it go. Matthew chapter 1. We see the first 17 verses of Matthew uh, speak about the begats, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But we read in verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, Mary. We don't know very much about Mary. We assume she was from Nazareth. She was probably from a, a very poor family. She had a sister named Mary, which was a common thing at that time. But she was most importantly a very devoted woman, a, very woman, a woman who was very submissive to the will of the Lord and very willing to listen to the Lord. Verse number 19, then Joseph, her husband, Joseph, we, don't, we know even less about him. He was a, the son of Jacob. It says, uh, uh, was probably a carpenter or did some type of construction work. But here again, a very noble man, a very uh, Old Testament saint of God. Then Joseph, her husband, verse number 19, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Here Joseph had the opportunity to put her away legally. Here he could have even had her put to death in those days. There they were engaged, but she has come forth pregnant, and Joseph had all right to have her put to death. But let's read on as he's in his dream. And verse number 21, And shall, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from the sins. Now all this was done that, was, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Isaiah spoke it. Was the, was the instrument through which the word of the Lord announced that God would dwell among the men in visible flesh and blood incarnation. This is the prophecy that we just read about in chapter number 7. Verse number 24. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took upon him, unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Joseph called his name Jesus, indicating that he was to be the Savior of the world. Flip back with me one more time. Our last portion of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 9. This is where we'll get the main point of our sermon from this morning. Remember, the scene is dark, it's gloomy, there's no hope in sight. But chapter 9 brings us a ray of hope. It brings us a message of a glorious light. Listen in verse number 1 and 2 of chapter 9, Isaiah. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. Verse number 3, we see a message of glorious increase. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy, thy joy before thee according, according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
And finally, in verses number four and five, we see a message of glorious liberty. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Who is going to accomplish these things? Who is going to accomplish the message of a glorious light? Who is going to accomplish the message of a glorious increase? Who is going to accomplish the message of the glorious liberty? The prophet tells us in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, listen to these now, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the son of a virgin whose birth Isaiah has foretold. And as we look into this Christmas season, as we focus our hearts and lives on this, the Christmas messages that God has for us today, what is the message that we're going to give to a lost and dying world? We see wars. We see the rumors of wars. We see all of the violence that is about us. The news is filled each and every night with that of violence and no hope for those outside of Christ. But the message that we should give this, this morning, the message that we should spread throughout this island is that the only focus of the, of the Christmas message is that of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the only hope of the world. He is the only one that can bring eternal salvation to a world that is lost and dying without hope. So as we look to the message this morning, I want to invite you to enjoy me in the seven wonders of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at the wonders that God has spoken about. Isaiah takes this word wonderful and I want to focus in on this one word this morning. If you go to a small Italian town in the Alps, there's a little church in the Italian Alps and it's a very unusual church and all down the sides of the church are little statues of, of prophets. All of the prophets are gazing in one direction. All of the prophets had their fingers pointed in one direction. And as you go down the, the, the church walls and you look at the prophets, you see the direction in which they are pointing their fingers. They all come and point to a glorious statue of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What are they saying? All throughout the Old Testament age, the prophets were pointing to the coming of the great Messiah. This is our message of hope this morning, that Jesus is here to save a lost and a dying world. Isaiah was the most prominent prophet who spoke of Jesus Christ. We read of him just now. He spoke of his birth in, the, in chapter 9 and 7 and 9. We read in chapter 53 that he also spoke of his death. For he said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our stripes was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah loved to speak of the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But I like to focus in on that one word that says wonderful. Jesus is a wonderful Savior that we have this morning. There's over 200, some say 212, some say 256 different names that we can focus in that example, gives examples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if you would allow me this morning, let's turn to that one word, wonderful. Someone who is transcendently glorious above all that we could ever know or ever see. Someone that is out of the ordinary someone that is unusual, someone that is very uncommon. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
The first thing that we can see is the wonder of his birth. This is what we will focus in on the next few weeks in our morning services is the wonder of the birth of Jesus Christ. There's been many amazing births throughout times. We saw the birth of Isaac to a woman that was almost 100 years of age who was barren and never conceived child, but she brought forth Isaac. We see the, the wonderful birth of Manoah's wife who was barren. She brought forth the, the great uh, uh, man Samson who tore down pagan temples, who destroyed a thousand men with his own hands. We saw, see the, the wonderful birth of Samuel by Hannah, the barren lady. We see the wonderful birth of, the, of Elizabeth as she brought forth John the Baptist. As Jesus said, no one was born, more greater man was born of a woman. We see wonderful births all throughout Scripture. But this morning we see no greater birth, no more wonderful birth than that of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Throughout Old Testament prophecies, we are speaking about the coming of the Messiah. Genesis speaks about him, and it gives indication that she, he will be come forth from the seed of a woman. Micah speaks about him and gives where he will be born in, in, the, uh, in the little town of Bethlehem. Most of the wise men thought it would be in Jerusalem, but he was taken to a little manger in Bethlehem. But when the fullness of time came, when the clock of eternity had struck and the hour had come, God said, it's a time for me to send my son and leave the glory of heaven and go down into the world to redeem men from their sins. But how would he send Jesus, our Lord and Savior? We would assume he would probably send him as a mighty king. We would think that we would send him as a grown man. But we know Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, decides to send our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just as he brought us into the world as a little babe. He wanted him to grow up. He wanted him to see all the, the, the difficulties it is in growing up and going through teenage life. He wanted Jesus to be so we can be, have an example to look for that if God, Jesus Christ can do it, we can also do it. So he sends him forth as a little baby who is to be the one that would uh, bring this about. He looks for a mother to, to help him in this, in this trial and bring forth this, this baby, the Messiah of the world. So he spots his eyes on the mother Mary. He looks upon her. He sends Gabriel down. This is just a review for you. He sends Gabriel down to her, and she, he shares with him that you will bring forth a son. She says, how can this be that I've never been engaged into a man? I've never had sexual relations to, the, to a man. How can this be that I can bring forth a son? And the ga angel Gabriel gives her assurance and says, the Holy Ghost will bring it about. He goes to Joseph, and he shares with him also how this would happen, how God would bring about this mighty babe, and it would be in his dream that he says, the Holy Spirit will bring it about. Since Adam and Eve came into the world, no child has ever been born except through the man's fusion, through the fusion of a man's nature with a woman's nature. Listen, man had absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing to do with it. What if he had? What if we had to do something? Y'all stuck up here with me, aren't you? B, what if, what if man had something to do with it? What if Lindsay had something to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Lindsay would probably have his calculator and say, now it's going to cost this much freight to get him here. We have to pay this much duty. Man had absolutely nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. We've been messing up since the beginning. We didn't want to mess this one up. God says, I'll take care of this one. And he sent Jesus as a, through the Holy Ghost, and he did it through a virgin woman, Mary. 
fantasy, mythology, modern science have tried throughout the ages to discredit this. Fantasy has tried to discredit, to counterfeit the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The Romans believed that Zeus, this sounds crazy, impregnated Simeon without contact and that she conceived the Lord of the earth. The Babylonians have made similar claims. Hindus have made similar claims. The conception, it says, at the conception of Buddha, that the mother of Buddha, a great white elephant, entered into the belly of the mother of Buddha. They have said that, uh, an old legend says that Alexander the Great was virgin born by the power of Zeus through the snake that impregnated his mother, Olympus. What is the devil trying to do here? He's trying to make it sound like the virgin birth is no big deal. He's trying to make it sound like the virgin birth is a common thing, that there's no big deal about it. But the scriptures cannot stand forth and solidify that of what the scripture says. She was born of a virgin, Jesus Christ. Modern science speaks of virgin birth. It speaks of it in sea urchins. It speaks of it in honeybees. It speaks of it in marine worms, but never has it spoken about it in the birth of human nature. For you see, science, like mythology, has no explanation for the birth of Christ. He is neither, neither merely the son of a previously barren woman nor the freak of a nature. But by the clear testimony of Scripture, he was conceived by God and born of the Virgin Mary. God said it. I believe it. That settles that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary. Can you say amen this morning? It was so wonderful that it affected three worlds. The angels rejoiced. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. It affected those on the earth, the shepherds and the wise men went to see this glorious Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it had also affected those in hell. The devil was upset. He was tormented that the Savior of the world had come into this and come into the world. And so that's why he ordered, that, ordered the king to go and to kill all of those babies under two years of age. That was why the devil was so upset. He refused to give in. It affected three worlds, the birth of Jesus Christ. There was some years ago I read of an article of a preacher in New York City. I don't know why New York always gets picked on, but they seem to always get picked on. But there was a modernistic preacher in the city of New York City. And he made a, made a stand that Sunday morning as he was preaching the Christmas message and he says that Jesus Christ, no way impossible. He could have been born of a virgin. It's not biologically possible. It cannot happen. It will not happen. Folks, listen. Mary and Joseph believed it. The angels believed it. The New Testament writers believe it. And as God gives me the opportunity to stand before the people of God and preach the infallible, authoritative word of God, I will preach what the scripture says. And the Bible says it was a virgin. And that settles it. Can you say amen this morning? Make no mistake about it. Those around you would try to discredit it. But Jesus was wonderful in his birth. This is what makes the birth of Jesus Christ so wonderful. It was of God and of God only. Number two, the wonder of his life. Never committed a sing, single sin. Peter said, who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Hebrews said, he was in all points tempted like as we are tempted, yet without sin. Pilate says, I find no fault in this just man. Jesus was the perfect example. He was the perfect, lived 
the perfect life. There was a preacher who went into a barber shop one time. And as he went in there, the barbers found out that he was a preacher. And he began to talk about all the church. And he began to talk about all the problems that was in the church, what was going on. Reminded me when I was in Thomasville, we had two problems from the time I got there to the time I left. One was the air conditioner, and the second was the sound system. I don't care what we did. We couldn't get the air conditioner right. It was too hot. It was too cold. It was too loud. It was too soft. We had one dear lady who was the sweet, sweetest soul I ever knew, but she complained about the sound system day in and day out. One Sunday, she came with a little piece of cotton in her ears. She was, it was an octagon-shaped church, and sometimes she would sit over here, sometimes she would sit here in the back and the front. She never could find the perfect place to sit. Next Sunday, she came, she had two pieces of cotton in her ear. By the sixth Sunday, she looked like a stuffed animal. She had cotton coming out of her ear like this. You could have had a chainsaw to cut it out. But we look around and we see the problems here and there. Why not look to the Lord Jesus Christ? He was the perfect one. He was the one that was, had no sin. He was the one who we should look for each and every Sunday, not at the church. Reminds me of a fellow who all he did was talk about people in the church. The fellow says, man, you know the story of Lazarus and the rich man? He said, yes, I know the story. He said, you remind me of the dogs who went and just licked the sores of poor old Lazarus. Folks, so many of us, we go and we, we want to go and pick on Christians and lick the faults that Christian has. I have faults. You have faults. But Jesus had no faults. He was wonderful in his life. Let's look to Jesus each and every day. Don't look to man. Jesus was also had a wonderful life because he performed many miracles. He made the lame to walk again. He healed blinded eyes. He calmed the troubled seas. Jesus went about performing great miracles. He went about doing good. This is what made his life so wonderful. He went about doing good each and every day. He fed the, he fed the hungry. He, he, he sat with the poor. Jesus went about, are we doing the good things that Christ wants us to do today? Are we focusing in on, on those that uh, need more, that are less fortunate than us? Are we going to those and helping those this Christmas season? Are we showing the example of the wonderful life that Jesus spoke of? And finally, he spoke as no man had ever spoken before. Boy, ladies, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be married to a man like Jesus? I mean, never talk back to you, you know? I love to watch football. And nothing aggravates me more when I'm in the middle of that football game, especially my Seminoles, and the wife says, take the garbage out. What's wrong with your leg? Your leg broken or something, you know? <laughs> take the garbage out. No, Jesus, well, yes, sweetie. I'll take the garbage out. I don't think Jesus was an eloquent speaker. He may have been. I never heard him spoke. But I don't think we're talking about a very eloquent speaker. But he spoke with love. He spoke with compassion. He went to the woman at the well and he presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. Jesus spoke as no man had ever spoke before. There was a man who discredited, a skeptic who discredited the virgin birth. And a fellow asked him one time, he says, if I told you, that over there, that boy was born of a virgin. He had no biological father. He said, would you believe me? He said, yes, I would, if he lived the life that Jesus Christ lived. You see, the greatest testimony of the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ was that he lived a perfect and a sinless life. Jesus lived a wonderful life. These riffraffs nowadays, they want to say they Messiah, they're Jesus Christ. 
There was one on the news recently in Miami. Says he's Jesus. Does he live the life that Jesus lives? No. He can't be Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life. The greatest testimony that we have is the life that we live. Jesus lived the perfect and the sinless life. He was wonderful in his death. He died as no other man had ever died before. But the wonder is that he didn't have to die. Let me just take you back to the scene very quickly. There was Jesus Christ. The cross is upon his back, and he begins to carry the cross up to the hill, Golgotha. And there beneath the load, he faints, and Simon picks up the cross and carries it for him. He gets to the top of the hill, and there they begin to drive the nails into his hand. Hollywood has tried to depict this story time and time again, but they cannot give justice to that that was, that was happening there on the hill of Golgotha. I, I, I get scared when the doctor wants to give me a needle. And here this Jesus took spikes in his leg. Dr. Pender, he's not here, I don't think. But the other day I, when we were moving in our new house, I dropped a piece of tile on my leg and, and cut it open. He had to give me a shot to give me some stitches. And I don't know who was going to holler worse, me or him. But he was hollering because I was a holler. <laughs> I don't like a needle. I'm there to tell you. I'm a sissy when it comes to needles. I don't want nothing to do with them. But here, the wonder of the death of Jesus Christ. The spikes were drove into his hands. The thugs as they pounded the spikes into his hand. How can you say the death of Jesus Christ is wonderful? Look at what happened and what was accomplished in the death of Jesus Christ. He opens up the foundation of cleansing from every sin. He perfected salvation for every man. He flung open the gates to every redeemed sinner. He opened the way of whereby any man could be, be find the pathway from sin to God. There was a preacher one time, and he went to visit and went to a revival meeting, and there he stayed in a local home, a farmer's home. The farmer was not a Christian, but the wife was. But one day he was seeking for the right opportunity to uh, present the gospel to this, to this man. And the, one day the farmer says, I want you to go with me. And they went out into the into the uh, chicken pens. And there he said, I want you to see that hen over there with all the little chickens underneath. He said, I want you to go over there and touch the hen. And he went over and he touched the hen and there was no life in the hen. And he says, see what happened was, I went over there, the weasel came that night and he wanted to get to the little chickens. He said, but the hen would not move. He allowed the weasel to kill him, to suck the blood out of his head. But there he protected the little chickens underneath. And the man said, boy, this is a perfect opportunity. And he showed him that this is what Christ did for us. He went to Calvary. He, he covered us so that we could have a hope. We could have life after this. That we could see et eternal salvation through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what our Lord and Savior did to us when he went to the Calvary. This is why the death of Jesus Christ could be called wonderful. Next we see the wonder of his resurrection. Yes, they slew Jesus. Yes, they buried him, but no tomb on earth could hold him down. This is what happened. Jesus, after three days, was resurrected from that grave, and there he arose victorious forever to live with our Lord and Savior. That's why the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is wonderful. Dr. Harry Reimer one time was, was sharing with a, was discussing with an Egyptian official who happened to be a Muslim. And they had this discussion, and Dr. Reimer says, we believe 
that God sent, revealed himself to man. The Muslim says we agree with that also. Dr. Reimer says we believe that God revealed himself in creation. The Muslim says we believe that also. Dr. Reimer says we believe that God revealed himself in a book called the Bible. The Muslim says we believe that God revealed himself in a book called the Quran. Dr. Reimer said we believe that God revealed himself in a man named Jesus Christ. The Muslim says we believe that God revealed himself in a prophet called Muhammad. Dr. Reimer says we believe that Jesus died for his people. The, the, the Muslim says we believe that the Muhammad died for his followers as well. Dr. Reimer says we believe that Jesus substantiated his claims when he rose from the grave. The Muslim says we have no record of our Muhammad. He's still in the grave. You see, folks, the difference between Christianity and the, and the, other, and the other religions of the world is their God, their leader is in the grave. But praise be unto God. Our wonderful Jesus is high and lifted up. He's resurrected and seated at the right hand of God the Father. This is the difference between you go to the tomb of old Buddha and it'll say he is not here. You go to the tomb of Confucius and it'll say here lies good Confucius. If you go to the, the, the tomb of Muhammad, it'll lie here lies Muhammad. But go to the tomb that Isaiah said was wonderful, counselor of the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And it'll say he is not here for he has risen. Can you say amen this morning? Jesus is alive. He's high and lifted up. That's what we rejoice about at Christmas season. He is not in the grave, but he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. This is why I get so happy. This is why I get excited in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not preaching about a dead God, but I am preaching about a Jesus that is alive and well forevermore. Oh, that's what thrills my soul. This is what thrills me, Jesus Christ. Reminds me of, of a song. It says, who can cheer my heart like Jesus by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious. Oh, how blessed to call him mine. Sing it with me. Oh, that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. He is the fairest of 10,000. In my blessed Lord I see. Does he thrill you today? Do you love him today? Next we see the wonder of his ascension. As we look into the importance of the ascension, I'm going to hurry along. In the resurrection, Jesus was marked out to be the Son of God in power. In the ascension, he was marked out as Lord. In his resurrection, he was shown to have power over death. But in his ascension, he is shown to have all power in heaven and in earth. Death is shown to be subject to him in the resurrection. But all things are shown to be subject to him in the ascension. Jesus, after he came back to this earth for 40 days, he went up with his disciples to the, to the Mount of Olives, and there he had this Sermon on the Mount. And after the 40 days, he ascended up. He didn't have rocket boosters as he had in 1961 when man was lifted into space. He did not have jet fuel, but he just got on a cloud and ascended up. And there he is today, high and lifted up, ascended 
into heaven. Next we can see he's the wonder of his present work today. What is Jesus doing today? He's interceding for you and I. He's interceding each and every day. I called my dad last night. He is on his way to Mexico, left at 7 o'clock this morning. They've taken some 15,000 boxes of gifts to kids in Mexico. He's done this a couple of times, and they have three trailer loads. And they go up into the hills, into the mountains where kids don't have toys, where they can't even buy toys if they wanted to. They don't even know where stores are. But he goes up into these mountains and these orphanages, and they're handing out some 15,000 boxes of toys. And he told me, he says, I went to Gideon's yesterday morning, and the Gideons, they prayed over us, and they said, we'll be praying for you. They'll be gone for 10 days. And he says, I went to the, the fellow from the Methodist church, came to him. He said, Brother Smith, we'll be praying for you. Yo, keep you safe. As you know, things in Mexico are not all that good. Sometimes they've gotten out there, and, and the officers would not let them through, would not let them bring the toys in, and they, they had to turn around and go back. They don't know until they get there. He says, we're going to pray for you. But isn't it good to know that Jesus is praying for us? Isn't it good to know that Jesus is interceding on our behalf each and every day? Finally, we can see the wonder of his coming again. Back in the Old Testament days, the prophet sang of his first coming. But the years passed and passed, and hope grew dim, and people forgot the promise. But then when he came, they knew him not, for they were not prepared for him. Folks, make no doubt about it. Jesus is coming again. And it's going to be a wonderful, glorious resurrection morning when Jesus raptures his children to be with him forever in the world. But what's going to happen? Two things are going to happen. Number one, he's going to come to bless those. Are you doing stuff to receive a award in heaven? Are you doing those things that Christ wants you to do? Is Jesus going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? The second thing he's going to do He's going to come and judge. And those that are not prepared are going to be a judge. And those that are going to be prepared are going to be judged as well. Are you ready for your judgment time? Because Jesus is coming back. Folks, it's the Christmas season. It's time for us to give hope. Time for us to give a hope to those. I love Christmas. I tell you, I love it for kids. I remember what we always joked with my daddy. He was cheap as a rat. I mean, my daddy wouldn't give up a dollar for nothing. But come Christmas time, for some reason... He was Mr. Give-It-It-All, and we enjoyed Christmas. My mom decorated. My wife, she's been, she decorates. She can't wait for Halloween to get out so we can decorate and get the house ready for Christmas. I love Christmas. I love opening my gifts. I don't make no bones about it. I may know what I'm getting, but I can't wait to tear open to those gifts. I love Christmas. But, folks, as much as we enjoy it, the Christmas is all about the hope of a Savior. We need to get the gospel out this world that there's hope. And Jesus Christ. Some time ago, there was, I heard a story of a, of a preacher, and I close with this. Boy, I'm making it. I close with this. There was a preacher. We all preachers, we have little, you know, trademarks. I, don't, I, I carry this. This is my, my mouth gets very dry. They were nice enough to give me some water, but my mouth gets very dry. And so this is to protect those on the front row. This is my splatter screen. <laughs> I don't want to splatter anybody. Pastor Lee's famous trademark is Selah. Think and act on these things. My granddaddy, his trademark was when he'd get excited, he'd grab his breeches leg like this. I got something on my pants. He'd grab his breeches leg like this and twist them. I never could. He went to his grave. I never knew why he did that. But that was his thing. But this particular preacher, he, he always kept him an orange underneath the pulpit. And every now and then he would take out that orange and 
he would nibble on it just a little bit. He would take it out. He would nibble on it a little more and more. But one day he was having a debate with an atheist one time. And they were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally the preacher reached out and he grabbed his orange. And he took it probably a little arrogantly too. But he took his orange out and he began to peel it very slowly. And boy, the atheist was just sitting there fuming. They weren't saying anything, but he was just very slowly peeling his orange layer by layer. Finally, after several minutes, he got his orange peeled, and he took him a wedge of it out, and he lifted his orange out. Mm. Mm. And boy, the atheist just sitting there steaming. He's mad as a wet hen. And he's sitting there, and he continues to eat his orange bite after bite and after bite. After about 10 minutes, here the preacher finished his orange, and he wiped his hands, cleaned his mouth. He says, now, sir, God, I got a question for you. He says, what is that? He said, was that a sour orange or was that a sweet orange? Was that a sour orange or was that a sweet orange? And the atheist boy, he was fuming now. He was mad. And he wouldn't say a word. He said, sir, I ask you, was that a sour orange or was that a sweet orange? There he again. He wouldn't answer him for nothing in this world. Finally, the third time. He knew he had him all riled up. He said, sir, I ask you, is that a sour orange or is that a sweet orange? And finally, after some time, the atheist blew up and he says, how do I know? I never tasted the orange. How can I answer that? Folks, listen. Boy, he brought him in and now he was ready to nail him. He didn't know whether to swallow his tongue or shout hallelujah. But he says, folks, that's what the message is about. If we could only give a taste of Jesus Christ to those that don't know him, folks, they'll want more of him. Only a taste is what it takes. If we could just get a taste of Jesus Christ, those in the world today, this Christmas season, they're going to curse the name of Jesus. They're going to disgrace the, the validity of the Christmas story. But folks, if they could only get a taste of Jesus Christ, what in the world would they, we could do for this island this Christmas season? My wife, she cooks chili. And oftentimes she'll tell me, says, taste it, and I'll get my little spoon, and I'll, mmm, baby, good, just like you. Good. I mean, Clint, you think I'm going to say anything else? <laughs> baby, it's good, good chili. But that's just a taste, folks. In a matter of a few seconds, in a matter of a minute, that taste is gone. And then I want the pot full. I want to dig in and I want to dive into the pot of chili. I want to taste it all. Folks, if we could just give the world a taste of Jesus Christ, the world would be dying to dive in into the love that Jesus Christ has to offer this world this morning. That's what the Christmas story is about. That's the hope that we have for the world today. Just a taste of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads as the musicians come and prepare, the singers come, and you're here this morning, and you've never tasted of the love that Jesus Christ has. You've never had the opportunity to commit your life to him. You'll have an opportunity this morning, and I want to invite you to come and center around the throne of Christ. As you begin to pray silently, and the saints of God are praying, Folks, young person, teenager, you don't know what to get mom and dad for Christmas, go home and tell them you gave your heart to Jesus. Go home and tell them you saved, that you're on your way to heaven. If the world comes to an end today, I'm going to heaven with my Savior. The greatest Christmas gift we could ever give a loved one 
is that we give our heart to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to have a time of prayer with you. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but I do want to pray with you. And I want to invite you into the sinner's prayer. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, will you raise your hand this time? And we want to pray with you. Anyone, this Christmas season, you want a taste of the love that Jesus has to give. Is there one this morning? As we began to sing our closing hymn, I want to sing it through one time, Brother Bethel. His name is wonderful. And I want to give you one opportunity when we finish this one verse to once again raise your hand in prayer. Be praying as we sing this wonderful chorus. Saints of God, you continue to pray. We're going to give you an opportunity once again to receive Jesus Christ. to Jesus this morning? Do you want to pray the sinner's prayer? Those around you will gather around and we'll pray it with you. This is one last opportunity. Will you raise your hand this morning? Anyone? In the balcony? Down below? Well, I trust everyone here is ready to meet this wonderful Jesus and experience this wonderful life of a Christian this morning. Father, we thank you for this time for this opportunity to share together. Lord, be with those that maybe did not answer, raise their hand, Lord. Speak to their hearts, Father. Lord, that before this day is out, that they'll but kneel beside the altar or kneel before you, Lord, and accept you as their Lord and Savior. We love you and we thank you. Praise God.